Welcome to the Youth Ministry Misfits podcast. We are for the misfits, those who don't fit in at school, those who don't fit in at church, those who feel they don't fit in anywhere. We are misfits, we are called to be misfits, and we are called to be for the misfits. Uh, Welcome to episode six of the Youth Ministry Misfits podcast. I'm here with uh, Ben Rowe, who's a different Ben to the last Ben I talked with. Um, Ben is actually one of uh, Tabor College's uh, alumni. Um, So I was really excited to to chat with Ben to kind of share about, well, get him to share about uh, what he's been doing with Streetlight. So um, Ben, why don't you tell us a bit about yourself and a bit about Streetlight? Yeah, awesome. Uh, so I am 32 years of age, I'm married to my wife, Annie. Um, we've got three beautiful kids, uh, Zara, who's five, Obadiah, who's three, and Emmanuel, who's four months old. Um, keeps life at home nice and fun and fascinating. Um, and uh, yeah, so Streetlight is a, a ministry that I started a bit over five years ago now. Um, whilst I was youth pastoring in uh, the northern suburbs of Adelaide, um, basically just connecting with uh, with young people out on the street where they are. Um, and uh, I'm sure we'll go into a bit more detail about that through the podcast. Yeah, cool. So um, one of the main things I find really interesting when we chatted before about the story is what made you decide to start doing Streetlight? Yeah, so basically I was, um, I'd come into youth pastoring and I was pretty fresh, like I'd grown up in rural South Australia on farms and uh, coming to youth ministry, I really didn't have a clue what I was really doing Um, and I was just honest enough to admit that to to God and a few others and uh, so I was really asking God for a model that I could follow in ministry um, mm. someone that I could copy what they were doing. And, uh, and I was really trying to cheat my way through, um, which is not like youth pastors at all. And uh, <laughs> anyway, I really felt like God just put a conviction on me that he's already given me a, um, a model to follow. And that was Jesus. Um, mm. So I started to just open my eyes to see how did Jesus actually do ministry and what were some principles and some uh, aspects of how he led his ministry that I could follow and integrate into the style that I was developing um, myself um, and, and pretty well um, core was actually just starting to read through the gospels. Um, mm. And I saw in Matthew five that Jesus says that we are the light of the world um, not, and, uh, and, and, you know, that no one hides their light under a bowl. And I felt this, uh, this real deep conviction that I had been using the four walls of the church as my bowl, um, mm. hiding my light under that bowl rather than seeing the God that is alive and active all throughout the world, outside in community, not just in the church, and that he was actually calling me to participate in his ministry with him where he was, not just trying to bring people to where I thought, uh, you know, this old covenant model where we, uh, mm. we, we, we sort of keep God within the confines of the tabernacle um, or, mm. you know, the temple or the church, that God is actually alive and active and present outside of the church as well mm. as the church. Um, and we get the... The opportunity, if we're willing, um, to be challenged to to step out and see that God is alive and active, um, and just calling us to join Him in those places. That's really cool, and it's it's cool because um, last week's podcast, I was literally talking about that with people because I um, I mentioned um, there's this author called Arthur Canalis, and he described eight different models of ministry. And as I was talking about it, it was one of the main things that 
kind of was on my heart um, was about the fact that God is already at work and he's at work in people's lives and we need to stop thinking that it's our job to try and make the work happen, but we're actually just joining him in what he's already doing. Absolutely. And, uh, you know, it, it wasn't really an intention behind the name Streetlight, but, uh, mm. you know, like about a year ago now, we sort of just reflected on the name and the and the, the, the brand of Streetlight. And, and we, we were just like standing out there at the shopping center and just looking at this streetlight that's just standing there in the street. It, it literally mm. stands there and does nothing but shine. And so mm. when the light shines in the darkness, it doesn't bring anything to there. It just reveals what is already there. Um, mm. And I think that that's really a, a, a cool analogy to explain like, you know, we don't bring God to the young people we meet on the street. Mm. We reveal to the young person where God is already at work. Um, Mm. And because we partner with the spirit of God, who's already out there, who's already present, already active long before we get there, we don't take him there. We join him there. And, Mm. uh, and so God shows up and we, Mm. we get to show the young person that, you know, this is the value that God's had in your life from the beginning. Um, we're revealing that, but also we're also revealing the the, the barriers and the, the, the stumbling blocks that uh, we as Christians identify as sin that are in the way of a young person pursuing the potential and the value that God's put on their life. Mm-hmm. So what does it actually look like when you're um, doing your, your street light, your, your, you know, street work, I guess it's probably not the right word. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, you know, you can call it what you want. We, uh, we, we, we avoid calling it a program because I think sometimes we put mm. program uh, labels on things that we try to contain and maintain. Um, and, uh, and when you're out in the street and you're just trying to build a relationship, you know, we, we saw that Jesus's model of um, discipleship, it was relational. You know, some people tag mm. it as like relational discipleship. And I think it's key is that we've got to put relationship above the program. And so mm. people, call it, people call it an activity. People call it outreach. It doesn't really matter what you call it. Uh, really, we will do anything short of sin in order to engage a young person in a conversation because we yeah, see that cool. conversation is where relationship starts. Mm. So for us, it's not about having an agenda that's trying to get someone back to the church or mm. get someone into a program or even um, a, a real challenge sometimes for us as Christians to see is that it's not our job or our agenda to even convert the young person. Mm. Our job is to mm. authentically love them well, to be present where they are, to engage mm. with them and see God at work doing that transformation uh, process. So yeah, for cool. us, we would do anything, yeah, like I said, short of sin. Um, so we converted the popular game beer pong into water pong. Um, we take out, uh, some volunteers do henna for free on young people in the community. We'll have nail polish. We'll have just some board games, card games, drawing, free hot chocolates mm-hmm. in the winter time, zooper dupers in the summertime, a misting fan, blankets, you name it. If it's short, if, if it doesn't involve sin, we'll do it. <laughs> <laughs> That's cool. So where do you meet the young people? So ideally, we look for places in society where young people are gathering and congregating, but without some sense of positive role modeling. Um, So, you know, for us, a a key place is the shopping center, Um, Mm. the local shopping center during usually the late night trading hours. So in Adelaide, it's uh, Thursday nights. Um, The young people are just there. Um, Five years ago, I went for a walk, just prayer walking our streets, asking God this, this question of, God, where are you at work and how can Mm. I join in? We saw, you know, 50 to 100 young people just gathering at the shopping center. And the one thing they had in common is that they were not there to shop. (laughs) Um, (laughs) And uh, so, you know, they they had no one 
you know, really guiding them in a positive sense. Um, mm. You know, I, I looked out and saw them, and I, was, I felt this uh, this compassion for them, like Jesus when he looked over the crowd and and mm. saw them like sheep without a shepherd. And I felt like God in the midst of seeing young people engaging in crime and shoplifting and and you know getting chased by security guards. I felt like God was just saying, "This is where I am, and mm. this is where I want you to join me." So we just find where young people hang out and uh, and we just go there to begin with relationship is is difficult because it takes time and it takes risk so you know we need to challenge ourselves to to just continually be present because if we continue to show up where young people are eventually after 3 or 4 weeks we know their names they know yeah. our names and it starts small but it grows and mm. so we just continue to push through those awkward times of you know we rock up and ask them if they want to hang out if they want a hot chocolate and to begin with they might be like hey who the f's this guy um <laughs> but eventually it sort of warms up that they go oh these guys aren't here trying to sell us anything they're not mm. here trying to get us back to church they just want to connect with us and see how they can help make our situation in life a bit better um yeah, you know yeah. shining shining a light in a dark place mm. you don't yeah you don't shine a light in a dark place telling people you know in a sense like hey there's, there's something there. You shine a light so they can see for themselves that there's, you know, a stumbling block in the way. And if they keep going that direction, they're going to fall over and hurt themselves and maybe someone else. Mm. Mm. That's cool. I, I really love just the, the way that, you know, over time you've been able to build up some of these really cool relationships and um, yeah, it just seems like it's making a real impact. Um, I'm really curious. I don't know if, if it, if this is just springing it on you, I hope not. I'm really curious to hear maybe a story of, of a young person who you've worked with and um, through, you know, your outreach. Mm, yeah. Um, well, look, there was, a, there was a dude that I met probably, you know, near the beginning of when we uh, started connecting there and uh, at the shopping centre. Um, and he was probably 16, 17 years of age at the time. And, uh, and, you know, he was, he was just there just impressing his mates and trying to impress some girls. And, um, anyway, you know, he, he just bounced up to me and said, oh, you know, like, what's all this about? Um, what are you, what are you guys doing? And, uh, he just done like a backflip in front of some girls. And I was just like, Hey, that's pretty cool. Like something I always wanted to do, but could never do. And, uh, <laughs> and certainly if I tried to do it, it wouldn't be impressive at all. But <laughs> I, um, I just had a chat to him and said, look, hey, we're just some local Christians from, from churches around the area coming out here to see how we can just help and just get to know you guys and see what we can do to, to make your life and the, this whole space a bit better. Um, and he was just like, oh, yeah, I respect that. And he's just like, but I don't believe in any of that God crap. And, uh, and then he turned to me and he said, like, you know, but why do you? Like, you know, mm. why do you believe in that, in that, all that God stuff? And um and it really challenged me to to actually think about how I would respond to that in a way that wasn't mm. just, you know, it's easy to tell Christians why you believe in God. Well, you know, it often is because, well, uh, I got brought up in church and, you know, and it's all these like church type language situations, which he mm. couldn't relate to. Um, but anyway, I started to share with him really the question beneath the question that he was asking was, um, is God real? Mm. And what difference does God make in my life? Um, and that's something that we've found, um, you know, sorry to go roundabout way about what you're asking here, but, um, you know, young people often aren't asking the questions that they really, in their hearts, they want to know yeah. the answers to that, that you have yeah. got to look beneath those questions to see the questions that they're really caring about. Mm. So I started to share with this guy, you know, not the church type language, but really, you know, times in my life where God has shown up and proven himself to be real for me. 
Um, and, and he started to really grapple with some of these answers of the, the peace that I carried through some pretty hectic situations and, and, and times where, you know, I've just had this immense purpose and, and hope and, uh, and, you know, even where, where God healed me once. And, uh, um, and it was just like, you know, there was no other explanation for it. And uh, anyway, he came back like a week later and was just like, you know, gone from not believing in God at all to going, hey, you know what? That Jesus guy you were talking about, I'm kind of sitting on the fence now. Like I'm sort of 50-50. Mm. Mm. And uh, that was within a, in, a, in a process of seven days. And I think it really just challenged him to see that when someone was willing to engage, not just try to preach, not just try and get mm. them back to church, that he really went away and thought about those things. Yeah. Now that process went on to to going, you know, from from engaging at the street to then, you know, him even coming back to my house and helping with some renovations and just, you know, carting rubble away and knocking down concrete and like brick walls and um, fun stuff like that. That uh, you know, it's life on life. It's not just about the mm. outreach. It's actually about the relationship, um, mm. and that takes time. It takes investment, and uh, and it grows over time. To now where we're actually, you know, we're engaging now out at, out at Streetlight with his younger siblings um, who are, you know, 11, 12, 13. He's now about 22. Um, but I still have this connection with him where periodically we'll just touch base and see how each other are going. Um, and I think it's really cool to see that long-term impact of those relationships. Now, where's he at with his faith? Um, you know, that's a, that's a longer story. Um, but, you know, he's been on his own roller coaster ride and, and seeing the, the the context of the relationships that these people have been through in their lives, mm. their family background, their circumstance in life, where they've got, you know, sometimes they've got four four different dads and two or three different mums in their family. Um, and there's just so much breakdown of relationship to have someone that is consistent and willing to just go the journey with you over five, six, however many years mm. saying, you know what, like I'm here. Um, I think it starts to shift our perspective of what we deem as success to go, you know what, success is a long lasting relationship that's moving someone towards positive change in their life. And whether that positive change is immediate or whether it's long-term, you know what, it's steering them towards uh, Jesus and away from a life of sinfulness and selfishness. Mm. No, it's interesting. Um, I think I really love the idea that, you know, you're with these people who, who, who otherwise would never have had any interaction with the church in any way, um, would never have heard about about Jesus. Maybe they would have, maybe mm. from you know the internet or whatever. Um, and I think what I really love is it. It seems, and and correct me if I'm wrong, but it really seems like, um, as you said, you're, you're one, you're, you're in it for the long haul with them. But two, mm. you're in it whether or not they're interested in Jesus. You're in the relationship yeah. with them regardless. And so you're actually getting to journey with them in their life, not just about, you know, what do they think about Jesus? Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's, um, you know, being at the shopping center, it wasn't long when we started hanging out there five years ago that we realized that there's enough people at the shopping center trying to sell these young people something, you know, and we've all been past those little um, counters in the middle of the, uh, the, 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 the the walkway where someone's trying to get your attention to sell you oh, something. Oh, that's so annoying. You know? <laughs> Yeah. And, and, you know, we do all these different tactics of trying to avoid those people. And yet it sometimes occurred to me that as Christians, we can be like those people. 
that we're mm-hmm. going out of our way to try and, you know, subtly get these conversations happening to try and steer people towards a conversion experience where we're, yeah, we're trying to convert a sale in a sense. Mm. And, uh, and, you know, biblically, we read that the, the Bible says that salvation belongs to the Lord and that it's the, mm. the kindness of God that brings people to repentance. So that's what we're after. We're after people to actually have an honest, repentant heart where they come to a place where they're like, yes, this is, you know, this is the relationship that I desire. And they're seeing mm. God actually take hold of their life rather than just an emotive response in a moment, um, yeah, which I think... Yeah. Like to be honest, that's that's something into it. Absolutely, and that that's something I really struggled with in the uh, in the context of youth ministry within the four walls of the church. Is so often we we use emotive manipulation, mm. um, and, and we're not even aware of it because it's so ingrained into the systems that yeah. we've uh, understood as this is what we do. It's we try culture. to persuade people to believe in Jesus and to attend church regularly, and then when they get burnt out and their faith wasn't actually sort of substantiated in anything. Um, you know, where do they go? They go to what provides mm. that feeling rather than actually a faith mm. that's built on a substantial foundation of relationship. Mm. Mm. Yeah, no, I really like it. And it's in retrospect, like, I mean, I know that I definitely participated in some of those emotive methods, those manipulative methods, those, <laughs> you know, let me, here's some, here's 10 clever arguments for why you should believe in Jesus rather than let me understand what's mm. going on in your life and let me meet you where you're at and then let me see what God is already doing in your life. Oh, absolutely. And, you know, like we've, we've had this, this message that says, you know, come to Jesus and your life will get better. And, and the challenge is, is that for these young people, it's just like, you know, their dad doesn't stop being a drug dealer. Their mum doesn't mm. stop sleeping around. They don't mm. stop. Like their life doesn't instantly get better. And, you know, Jesus, we, we read the, the message that Jesus says, and he says, hey, come follow me and get ready to die. Like, mm-hmm. you know, lay down your life. And, uh, and you know, that's the message he portrayed. He, he portrayed it. As, it was a hard call. People stopped mm-hmm. following because it was actually difficult. And yet mm-hmm. we come in with this emotive sense of, you know, hey, come to meet Jesus and he's going to be your best friend and everything will get better in life. And it's like... It's like a truism that that is a true statement that, you know, he gives you peace and he gives you hope in those midst of those difficult times. But those times don't necessarily get better in actual fact. Sometimes they get worse. (laughs) But He never promised it takes away from them. Mm. No, but he says that, you know, like I'm with you always. Mm. Um, So he's that. He's that relational presence that is with us in those difficult times. Mm. Um, And we're called to embody that. Um, Mm. You know, James says that, uh, true religion in the sight of God the Father is this: it says that you know, love the orphan and the widow in their distress, like you know, care for them. And yet, we just look for often for bums on seats in churches. And you know, and and I think for us, it's it's the challenge to identify in our you know, sometimes middle class, um, even in the the, the upper and the, the lower class areas in society, wherever it is that we engage, who are the orphans and the widows in our society? Mm, For mm. us, like a lot of these kids, yes, there's kids out there that are orphans um, legitimately, but the ones that aren't, they've got an orphan spirit because their parents aren't yeah. actually present in their lives, parenting them the way that the Bible calls us to to parent. So it challenges us to to live differently. And for us as as believers to go, what does it look like to actually model a biblical parenting figure 
Um, not only for our own kids, like, you know, I've got three kids myself, but, you know, for the, for the kids out there that aren't being parented, how does it challenge us mm-hmm. to go, are we going to live in a way that is different to what the status quo of everyone else in society does that mm-hmm. actually challenges some of these narratives that have just been believed for generations that, you know, there is no purpose, there is no hope, there's no way of breaking mm-hmm. out of the cycle, that life is hard and, mm-hmm. and that you just trudge your way through it. It's like, you know, mm. we actually can start to change some of the narratives that these young people have believed and their families have believed to see a different mm. path be pioneered for them. Yeah. And one of the things that you said about that, like the challenging challenging the culture, um, um, I thought of how it's almost like this, how do I put what I'm trying to say? <laughs> um, our culture is heading towards this sense of, um, everything is so compartmentalized. Every part of our mm. lives is, is so, um, professionalized and, you know, um, almost too organized to the point that, uh, they've been stripped of relationship and, yep. um, stripped of connection. So in a way you're challenging the culture there too, by saying, actually what you said, you said relational embodiment, like you, mm. you said that about Jesus, but that's also what what we're called to do is that relational embodiment. And that's what I think of when I think of incarnational ministries to, is to actually embody that, um, that seeking of authentic relationship and um, yeah. Yeah. Authentic is probably the, the word I'm looking for. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. And that's it. That's it. It's about being real. Um, you know, mm. young people out on the street, like you know, if there's one thing that they can smell a mile away, it's a fake. And oh, so yeah. you know, we, we get used to their street smarts and, uh, you mm. know, they know when someone's coming that just has a beef with them and uh, they can see it from a mile away. They know what's going on. And so if we come out there and we're being fake, like they got no time for that. Um, mm. So it's, it's about totally. us actually drawing the dots and joining some connections between the way that Jesus lived and the teachings that he taught into the way we actually integrate that into our society. So, you know, we compartmentalize uh, church and the fact that we've got so many denominations and we keep ourselves separate. You know, mm-hmm. we really felt as we set up this this ministry, there's so many churches that have a, and even just like to a step back a step from, uh, from churches, just believers that have a desire and a heart to actually connect with people out on the street, but they don't mm-hmm. know how. Churches often have this sense of going, well, who's going to do the, the, the risk management? Who's going to provide the insurance? Who's going to do all these tricky aspects? And we felt God say, why don't we set up this organization, this, this charity, this, this, this model where we provide that sense of training and risk management and insurance so that we can train and empower and equip churches to go together rather than having their own slice of the pie mm. in their own little pocket of society um, and staying separate. But to practice this model that Jesus talks about in John 17 in his high priestly prayer, that we would actually be as united as Jesus and the Father. And the, mm. the result of that would be that the world would know that God sent Jesus and that Jesus loves and that God loves the world, which is what yeah. we all want to see. So mm. you know, it's ludicrous that as churches that we don't come together more. Yes. And, and often the, the stumbling in that is that, well, you know, who gets the 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 accolades for you know like yeah. we, we never talk about it but whose church do they come to hmm. why does it flip and clear <laughs> like you know it doesn't matter whose church they hmm. go to because we're all That's one right. so you know hmm. we should celebrate when the young person doesn't want to come back to you know 
our church, but they want to go to someone else's church. It's just like, well, mm. hey, praise God that they're that you know, here's a young person that's actually making steps of faith. Yeah. Like, yeah, we don't need to hold on to them as if it's our success or, mm. or our ego that is either lifted up or, or <laughs> bottomed out when we uh, yes. when we get a young person that doesn't come back to our church. Yeah, I totally agree with you, and I think um, one of the things that I've heard from people who don't come from a Christian background is that objection to, well, um, why are there so many different kinds of churches? And the only way you can answer that is, well, this is, it's not meant to be this way. We're meant to be yep. one, one group of people because we follow the same God, we follow the same Jesus. Um, yep. And I think it is a big turnoff for a lot of people because it, Absolutely. it promotes a, a, a competitiveness between churches. Yeah, um, and that's the that's the business model in the world today is com- mm. competition and comparison. Young people fall into that. They're always you know comparing themselves with the other people on their screens on their social media, and they compete trying to you know keep up with all those trends. And the challenge mm. is, is what misses out is that relationship. And yeah. it's the same with our churches. We compare. We we see another youth ministry. I certainly did. I looked at the youth ministry and thought, you know what? They look successful. They've got it going. Mm. They've got more followers on social media than I do. Like so, mm. such punitive measurements of uh, of success, and like yeah. you know these these small models that we 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 fall into the traps of, and we lose what Jesus says. Jesus says to his disciples, "I want you to be with me." I want you to just come. Let's, you know, we don't use the words follow me much in our, in our, um, you know, language these days in our culture, but I see that Jesus is like saying, Hey, let's hang out. Let's go mm. on a journey together. Like, you know, mm. let's hang out for a few years and let's go on a road trip. Like let's just spend time with each other. Yeah. And, yeah. and, you know, I'm going to take you from point A to point B, take you from a fisherman to being a fisher of men. I'm going to change your perspective of the value that you hold on yourself the value that you see the world holds on you to show you the value that God places on your life. Mm. Um, and that's going to change the way that you perceive yourself and the way that you live out um, each day that you've got to live on this earth. Yeah. Yeah. Um, if, if I was to come back to the, the original question for the podcast, which is, well, <laughs> who, are, who are the misfits and how do we reach yeah. them? I think in a way you've, you've answered it through everything you've just been saying. Well, the misfits. Well, they're the ones who aren't going to walk into a church. They're Absolutely. the ones. They're the ones who are just hanging out in a shop who are being chased by security guards. Um, yeah. They're the ones who who probably will will swear at you and tell you to go away. Um, mm. But they're actually the ones that they still matter to God. Um, they they still have intrinsic value. And how do we reach yep. them? Well, we go to them. We forget our agenda. Yeah. And we go to them. Yep. And I'd say that, summary? Like, oh, absolutely. And I'd say that, um, you know, for me, the misfits are the people who make we make us feel uncomfortable. You know, mm. who is it in your life? Like, you know, going a stretch beyond just the young people. Like we engage with young people because that's where God's sort of put it on our heart. But who is it that makes you feel uncomfortable? You look at Jesus's parable of the, 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 the good Samaritan and you see that here's this like this priest and this, this, this Levite, this temple assistant. And they see a person who made them feel really uncomfortable. Like here's this, mm. this dude that's half beaten up, half left for dead. And it made them feel uncomfortable that they crossed the other side of the road. You know, yeah. who is it that we want to cross the other side of the road to avoid? And Jesus is saying to us, here's a person for you to love. You know, mm. can we actually be challenged by that to go, 
It's not about our insecurities and our discomfort. It's actually more about our faith in a God that is active in those spaces, in those places um, to go, you know what, we're actually trusting God that when we go and connect with this person, that God is already there. Yeah, that we're not yeah. trying to figure out how do we drop Jesus into the conversation. We're mm. going and joining the conversation that God's already been having. <laughs> so I love, that. You know, I, would, I love that. I would challenge it beyond just young people. So, you know, for our volunteers, we've got, you know, probably almost 50 volunteers from about 20 different churches at the moment, um, about to be engaging in over three different um, spaces around Adelaide. Um, and as we see this model expand and see other churches come on board, other places and in, in both society and church, so like we're getting um, shopping centers and councils that, uh, that sometimes want us to say, hey, can you come and do what you're doing over there? Here. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We, we want to, you know, I had a council in the midst of, uh, of COVID ring us up and say, hey, you know what? The young people are being hectic. And when we think of, young, of people who are changing the lives of young people, we think of you guys. Um, and I was like, you know, for, for where the council can see that the church and it's not really the church, it's Jesus is the answer Mm. to the problems that they have. This is what it's about. It's, and Mm. and what do we do? We are just present in their lives. Mm. Do we know what we're doing? Not overly, but do we keep on (laughs) rocking up and just having the conversation and just Mm. joining in where God is and seeing where God shows up? And then as the relationship builds, we get more uh, credibility, more trust is built into those relationships where we get to speak into opportunities that we would have never had the uh, the voice in if we just mm. tried to get them back to the church. Yeah, definitely, definitely. So um, as we're drawing to a close now, and it kind of feels like it's too soon, but <laughs> uh, that's all right. We'll have to just uh, um, do this again. <laughs> that's it. Um what would you say if you could put into like one sentence, one thing that you would um, tell the church um, in general to reach the misfits, what should they do? Mm. I think that uh, it's take the risk, you know, Mm. go out there, learn, you know, don't Mm. be unwise. Um, You know, you do need to practice wisdom, but step out. You know, if Mm. we just stay within our comfort zones, we're always going to be uncomfortable being around people that you know deter us but if yeah. we're willing to trust god with the people that make us uncomfortable we can see that god actually changes the way that we see them he changes the way that we respond to them and he actually changes the orientation of our heart towards them um, mm. and that helps us to learn to love people that we don't sometimes if we're honest enough we don't like mm. Mm. and mm. and you know there's a power of that transformation that not only happens to the people we're going out there to reach, but it actually transforms us at the same time. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Yeah, I really like that. I like that a lot. And I like the idea of approaching young people as like they're the experts and we're the ones to learn rather than the other way around. That's awesome. Yeah. Um, I'd be really interested. Um, com- we're completely out of time, which is it's okay. <laughs> but I'd be really interested um uh, to chat more about like how do you maintain really good boundaries with young people but also mm. build good relationships um, I guess that's because I have a youth work orientation but youth ministry experience so maybe yeah. in the future we can chat more about that um, absolutely that part two coming up sounds awesome <laughs> all right well thanks so much Ben for your time and I'm sorry to, to cut it so short um, but as I said look out for part two um, there you go yeah Well, so thanks for for coming along. No worries. Thanks for having me, Tim.
Uh, if you want to know more about Streetlight, you can check them out through their website, which is streetlightcommunity.org. Uh, that's street as in S-T-R-E-E-T and light as in L-I-G-H-T. Until next time, everyone, stay misfit. Thanks for listening to the Youth Ministry Misfits podcast. If you want to continue the conversation, join our Facebook group. It's called Youth Ministry Misfits. Here we will post more information, more research, and we will also post about future in-person gatherings. If you'd like to know more about training for your youth ministry, send me an email at tmullen at tabor.edu.au. That's T-M-U-L-L-E-N. If you're interested to know even more, why don't you consider studying with us at Tabor? We offer youth work, counselling, creative writing, ministry, and more. Check us out at tabor.edu.au. Until next time, stay misfit.